I'm so glad you decided to start 2016 in the house of God. Is it? How many have written already? Uh, wrote the the numbers 2016 on a on a document or a track uh, check. How many have already done that? Isn't that weird? I tell you, it's every year. It takes me a little while to kind of get used to writing that and get used to the fact that another year has ended. Another year has begun. And here we are in 2016. Who would have ever thought, amen, that the world would be around this long? I'm, I'm hoping that 2016 is the year Jesus Christ comes back. Boy, when He shouts, we're out of here, amen? And uh, we're, we're certainly looking forward to His appearing, the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You couldn't have picked a better way to begin a new year than by being in the house of God. And I pray the Lord blesses you richly this morning for that. I'm, I'm so glad that you made the decision to do that. You know, I think as a Christian that, of course, it, it shouldn't just take a special Sunday. But I, I think we should set a goal at the beginning of a new year to try and be in God's house every, every time the doors are open. I remember when I, um, when I was a young Christian, I, I was just newly saved and and I kind of had a lot of the a lot of the world in me still so I didn't completely feel comfortable in in the house of God around God's people they just seemed so perfect to me but but I also had enough of God in me that I wasn't comfortable in the world anymore yeah I'd passed from death on to life something changed and and I remember just kind of being in that awkward in between you know, I didn't really know the folks in church enough to, you know, go out to fellowship and hang out with them. But I knew I couldn't go out and run to my old haunts of the world. I, it was August of 1990. <clears throat> I walked into a Baptist church. I used to do heating and cooling. I walked into a Baptist church to fix their air conditioning. A, a friend of mine's, a friend of mine, his father was a pastor. And somebody had installed a new air conditioning system. The church had prayed. The church had sacrificed. The church had saved. They finally got to that day when they could install this new AC system. And somebody, so they hired a man. He put the AC system in. And there was a baptistry in the center. And, and they had, there was a grill on each side. And the, and the air handler was just behind the grill. But the problem was, is when it came on, that nobody could hear the preacher. When he was microphoned, I mean, he was mic'd, and it was so loud, the air was so like one of those, and the, the, the blower was right up against the grill, and it was so loud that he literally had to stop preaching until the air shut off. So, of course, you know what he did. Any good preacher is not going to stop preaching, so he turned the air off. So it kind of defeated the purpose of having air conditioning. So he, was, he tried to get the contractor out and asked them to come back and fix it, and, and the guy wouldn't come back. And, and he really felt embarrassed because, you know, as a pastor, he contracted, he hired this guy, and, and he didn't want to lose face with the church. So he knew I did heating and cooling. And so I went over one night to pick up his son. We were going to go running around. And, and he came running out to the truck. And my truck was lettered at the time, and I believe. And, and he came out, and he said, hey, and he told me the situation. He told me how the guy wouldn't come back and fix it. He said, will you come take a look at it? If there's anything you can do, we gladly pay you for it. You know, can you take a look at it? 
And I thought, who does that to a church? You know, that's just terrible. And so I went over to it and, and I looked at it and I figured, yeah, we can do this. We can, we can move them off that shelf, set them back about 12 foot back on actually the sides of the baptistry. And we'll get some ductwork in there, insulate it. It will absorb the static, the noise, and it would just come out just air with no noise. So I said, listen, I'll do that. You pay for the materials. I'll donate my time and labor, and I'll do that. And I just felt bad somebody would do that to a church. So I began working on it, and over to the baptistry, they had 2 by 12s There were two 2 by 12s making a 4 by 12 I guess. And it was stretched over the baptistry, and I had an air handler on that side and an air handler on that side, and, and I would walk back and forth across the, baptist, uh, across the baptistry over on those 2 by 12s and it was a full. It was a standing water one, you know, with the window where you can see the water level. And, it, boy, it was just crystal clear. And the water, they had a pump. The water was swirling around. They had a filter. It was as clean and clear as can be. And I kept looking down in the water. And when I was a boy for about two months, a Southern Baptist church. Now, I, I shared my testimony in Sunday school, or my, my mother's testimony, how I grew up. I was raised in an unsaved home. My father died before I was born. My mother actually found out she was pregnant with me two weeks after the funeral. And, and that made her pretty bitter. And because she was already... Um, a drinker that made her a pretty bad alcoholic. She climbed into a bottle by her own testimony. She climbed into a bottle for 20 years and didn't climb out. Um, so, and because she uh, waitressed in the day, tended bar at night, sometimes priests would come in, make passes at her, different clergy, whatever, and, and she just, she was not impressed. She thought churches are full of hypocrites, it's a big scam, all they want is your money, you've heard it, right? And she, that's what she thought, that's the way I was raised, you know? Bible's a farce, churches are full of hypocrites, it's all about your money, no, 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 no. Isn't it funny who God calls a preach? <laughs> you know, calls a pastor, really. And uh, so that's how I was raised. And <clears throat> so my mother wouldn't take us to church, but if somebody wanted to come and take us out of her hair, <laughs> a bus ministry, she was all for that. She wasn't for church, but you mean you're going to take my kids away for a couple hours and, and bring them back? She didn't care where they took us. Just <laughs> go ahead and take us away. So she... um the, a Southern Baptist Church, Merriman Road Baptist Church here in Garden City, Michigan, came by, and I still remember Brother Bartha. He was, a, he was an elderly man in his late 70s at the time, clean-shaven head, just a real godly saint. I went to look for him years later and tell him what happened in my life, but he had already went home to be at the Lord. I, I guess he knows by now. But he... Um, he came by and he asked my mother, and I, you know, we had one of those typical bus family doors, you know, the screen door, the screen's gone, the door's kind of twisted, it don't actually shut, you know, and uh, there are beer cans and ashtrays overflown, broken down lawn chairs on the porch, kind of like Lodabar, you know, a place without pasture, and um, he came up and he knocked on that door, asked my mother, my mother said, sure, so they started riding the Sunday school bus, well, during that time, it was me and my next older brother, Tony, he was 11 years old, which, by the way, is home with the Lord now, he, he went home to be with the Lord at 31, and, um, but it was so funny, I'd forgotten about this, but when I was the one that found my brother, and um, the Lord brought it all back to me, it, it was just, it was like I was sitting there again. But we were seated, and I remember they wanted to talk to us. It was during church, and we were on the back pew, and, and along this wall, I don't believe they had any windows because there was another building, but this wall was, I believe, facing east. Then they had stained glass windows, similar to what you have, but you couldn't see out of them. And, and I remember that day, Brother Barr sat there, and he took the Bible, and he went through the Bible with my brother Tony, which was 11, I was 8. 
And he gave him the gospel, explained the gospel. And it's the first time either one of us heard the gospel. Tony bowed his head. I can still see his little little brush-cut head. And he bowed his head, and boy, was he earnest, was he serious. Eleven years old, you're, you can get it, you know. And he bowed his head, and he asked Jesus Christ in his heart, man, did he mean it. And I remember, I knew he meant it, because I was sitting next to him kind of giggling, and he reached over and pinched me, like a big brother will do. He let me know that when we get out of here, he's going to kill me, you know. And um, so I'm giggling, he gets saved. Well, he comes home, he's, he's full of excitement. They want to baptize him like good Baptist churches. They want to baptize him. And he comes home, mom tells mom, says, mom, I want to be baptized. Mom says, not in my lifetime. She says, you do what you want to do when you get out of my house, but as long as you live here, you're not doing that. Because that was a little bit more than the babysitting service the bus was providing, you know. And so it just crushed Tony. And, and you know, parents never stand in the way of your children's spiritual when God works in your heart, work with it. Amen. And it crushed Tony. And really, his life was a disaster when we got into teen years up through until I really believe God took him home because he couldn't figure out how to get out of his sin. I really do. And, but I never forgot that. So here I am 16 years later. I'm now almost 25 years of age. I'm just before my 25th birthday. And 16 years later, I, I'm sorry, I'm drinking a lot of water. I'm, I'm taking antihistamines. I'm just so dry. Yeah, you hope you got a pump up here. I'll fill it up as we go. So here it is, 16 years later. I'm working at the church. I'm walking over these boards. I look down in that crystal clear water, and guess what I remember? When I'm eight years old, when I want to baptize Tony. Now, all my friends were Catholic. They were all baptized as Christian, baptized whatever as infants, and... And so I associated baptism with a religious thing, a spiritual thing. And, and I wanted to do a good thing. So you didn't know, but I am an Ethiopian. Amen? I'm just like the eunuch in the Bible. Because you know what I asked? I asked, can I be baptized? Amen? Isn't that wonderful? And just like the eunuch did in the Bible, he said, what doth hinder me from being baptized? I asked the preacher, I actually asked him, can I be baptized here? And he said, sure, we would love to baptize you. He said, but can I talk to you first? And he sat me down on the back pew and he explained the gospel. And that was the first time anybody ever fully explained the gospel. You know what? It made sense. It made sense. And, you know, and here's the funny thing. I always believed Jesus Christ. My brother worked for a city of Inkster and, and he was a garbage man when I was a little boy. And, and he, um, one day in the garbage, he found a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. And it was kind of a unique one. He was on a cross like a Roman hills in the background. There were chunks of rocks and rolling hills. And there's Jesus on the cross. And for whatever reason, although my mom did not believe in church, the Bible, Christians, whatever, she liked that. I grew up, there was always a ceramic set of praying hands on the table. My mom liked Jesus, just didn't like anyone else that liked Jesus, you know, I don't know. And, and so that, that picture was at the end of our hallway since I was a little boy, and that's all I remember. And I, um, I, uh, I've always believed that Jesus was the Son of God. I've always believed, I, don't, I do not ever remember not believing that He was the Son of God, that He died, buried, rose again. I've always believed that. I, I don't ever remember... I can't go back early enough where I didn't know that or believe that, but I wasn't saved. And, and I wasn't trusting in the Lord. I wasn't dependent on Him. And that preacher that day sat down and gave the gospel, and he started explaining to me sin, and I'm like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm like Paul was the chief of sinners, right? And he started explaining to me sin. He started explaining the wages of sin, and boy, I tell you, a light bulb went off. 
All of a sudden, for the first time, I realized, see, I always thought, you know, I'm not the best, but I know I'm not the worst, and God was going to kind of rough up my hair and say, you know, you, you know, you're not that great, but you're not that bad. Come on in. I call it my knucklehead theology. And boy, if I tell you, the light bulb went off, and I saw for the first time in my life that my sin, which I knew I sinned, but I had the venial mortal kind of thing, you know, and I saw for the first time in my life that my sin would actually separate me from a holy God. It wasn't the nature of my sin, the quantity of my sin, the location of my sin. It was the fact that I was a sinner. I had a sin problem. And that sin was going to separate me from a thrice holy God. And boy, I tell you what, the rest of it was academic. I already believed Jesus died, paid the sin debt, offers the gift of eternal life through his blood. I believed all that. So the preacher, when he said, you want to, you want to, wouldn't you like to receive him as your savior? I said, I sure would. Amen. And uh, that day I bowed my head and, and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. And, and, you know, it was just a solemn, earnest moment. I meant every single word of it. And you know what? I didn't get a warm, fuzzy feeling. Not that some don't. And, and I didn't see a 50-foot Jesus and none of those things. But I meant every word of it. And you say, how do you know, how do you know uh, something changed? Well, my life started changing in short order. You know, something as big as God coming in will leave an impression. Amen. And God came into my heart that day, and I didn't realize. And all of a sudden, things started changing. I, I used to say it like this. I got a conscience I never had. And, and, and things started bothering me that never bothered me before. And, and, and I remember just thinking, what in the world's going on? I'd kill a spider, feel bad. <laughs> you know, and, and, and all of a sudden I had to be truthful. I mean, no, no little white lies. I mean, I had to be true. It's funny because remember, the word is true. Jesus is truth. The Holy Spirit spirit of truth. Truth becomes important. And, and, and I started realizing, boy, something really happened in my life and God changed my life. I ended up getting baptized that Sunday. Followed the Lord and believers' baptism. The preacher there told me, he said, listen, if you don't have a church, which I'm assuming you don't because they should have told you this, but if you don't have one, he said, I'd like you to be a member of our church. I'd like to teach you the Word of God. I'd like to help you to grow in the things of Christ. And so with wet hair, standing here that Sunday morning, I joined a congregation of believers. I did not know one of them except the preacher in the pulpit. And I'm thinking, they're not going to vote me in. <laughs> you know, he had, you know, all that were seen by faith, you know, raise your right hand and, uh, you know, all the nays. There was all yeas, no nays. Praise the Lord. But I'm thinking, they're not going to let me apart. They don't know me. And boy, every one of those sweet folks welcomed me into their fellowship. And I became a member of the church and God worked in my life. I grew in grace, knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. One day during a preaching conference, <clears throat> an invitation was given and extended to surrender to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I remember I came forward just, just so nervous. And I took my preacher's hand right in front of that pulpit and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I said, Lord, where you send me, you go. What you tell me to preach, I'll preach, you know. And I gave my heart to Christ and I'm so glad that he took it that day and he's let me preach his glorious gospel ever since. John chapter 5. John chapter 5 in your Bibles this morning. John chapter 5. I have faith. <laughs> Now listen, you've got to help me out. If you, if you know how to say amen, say amen. Okay, when you get there, and, and at least smile at me. If you just stare at me, I'm going to think you're mad. I'm going to get nervous. So you at least got to smile at me, okay? <clears throat> but John chapter 5, the Bible says, and it says, 
left in verse number 1. It says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years, who when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. You know, there's many times I want to be in places in the Bible. Don't you wish you could hear the way Jesus said those words? Take up thy bed and walk. And the Bible says, um, verse number 9, And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day, it is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. <laughs> Some people never get it, will they? I always marvel at the Pharisees there. And the Bible says, Then asked they him, What man is this? Oh, no, verse 11. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is this that said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. And afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more lest the worst thing come upon thee or unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. Let's pause for a word of prayer, can we? Our Father, a great God in heaven, Lord, I just want to praise your name tonight or today. Lord, I thank you for the inspired word of God. Lord, I thank you for preserving for us all these years later this, this wonderful story, this wonderful illustration of salvation. And Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I thank you for salvation that's in Christ alone as I reviewed my own salvation. And now we look at the salvation of this man. And Lord, I thank you for that place of grace that we can come to as lost sinners and receive the gift of God which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, my prayer this morning is that... Is if there's a man or a woman or a young person gathered in this auditorium this morning, that maybe perhaps they're like I was in August of 1990. Oh, they believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They believe all about Him, but never quite realize they need Him and therefore have never received Him as their Lord and Savior. They've never placed their dependence in Christ to do for them what they can never do for themselves themselves. Lord, I, I pray that you work mightily, especially in that heart. And Lord, show them today that they must be born again, that there's no other way unto the Father but through Jesus Christ the Son. And Lord, move mightily in our midst. And for us that know you as Savior, Lord, help us to realize that 
as Christians, we're new people in Christ. We love you and we praise you. Have your will and your way. Blessed Holy Spirit, help us now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, that story is a wonderful story. You know, it, it, it has it all, doesn't it? You know, there, there's angels and the supernatural and, and the stirring of the water. And then, then the lovely Jesus Christ walks onto the scene. And, and here's, this, here's this very sad scene. You see all this multitude of impotent folk and they're halt, they're withered, they're lame, they're maimed, what have you, they're blind. And here they are, they're just desperate. And, and boy, isn't that a picture of humanity? You know, Brother John, the other night, I think, I forget what night it is now, but he, he did the, the kind of a timeline and, and showed that how many people were on planet Earth this year and that century, that century, and, and how that now there are as many people on planet Earth, living on planet Earth, as have ever lived up to this point. And so if, if there's that many, there's also more lost people, more lost folks, more impotent folk than have ever been since the history of the world. And, and I think we live in a time where this world needs Jesus Christ more than it ever has. You know, and, and it's such a dark hour. And, but I love this story because there's hope in it. And, and Jesus, like the breath of fresh air, He is like the light. You know, the light of heaven He is. You know, one day we're going to get to heaven and, and He's going to turn the sun off, the moon, the stars off because the Lamb is the light thereof. Well, the light walks onto the scene, and in that darkened, that despairing world, here comes the light of eternity, Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice with me, look with me back in verse number 14 of, our, of the passage that we read. The Bible says, And afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. Now, I think it's safe. I think it's a safe assumption. I think it's safe without being, you know, you know, critical. I think it's pretty safe to say by the words of Jesus Christ that behold thou art made whole, sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. I think it's safe to assume that this man had been in this crippled state for 38 years because of a sin. I, I think that's a safe assumption because of the words of Jesus Christ. And see, sin had crippled this man. And, you know, and I know sin sometimes is winked at on our day, but sin, folks, is no laughing matter. You know, sin, sin ruined this man's life for 38 years. And when Jesus Christ was, you know, when he came along and when he said, sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon thee, he was letting him know as well as you and I today that, that the difficulties that this man was experiencing was a result of sin. And, and that literally that this was resolved. And so he said, listen, you know, sin no more lest something worse come upon thee. You know, sin has ramifications. Sin brings judgment. Um, we read over, look with me, just uh, keep a mark here, but go back in Romans 6. Romans, the, the book of Romans chapter number 6. And I know it's a very familiar passage of Scripture to the most, as it should be. But, you know, sin has a wage. Sin has a price tag. Sin is not free. And, 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 and folks, we gotta be, we gotta be careful with sin. Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in this particular story, we see both sides of that. We see the wages of sin. We see the effects. For 38 years, this man had been living under the burden of his sin. Under the weight of his sin. Under the ramifications of his sin. You say, well, that's kind of absurd. I don't believe that. Well, think about it for your own selves. How many people you know that that have been uh, lost maybe in a bottle of alcohol for 38 years? How about lost in drugs for 38 years or immorality for 38 years? It's certainly feasible and it's certainly possible. And this man had been living under the ramifications of his sin for 38 years because sin has a wage, sin has a payday. And, you know, I think about that. What are we willing to pay for our sin? Because sin's not free. You know, when we sin, there is a price tag. And what are we willing to pay for our particular sin? Because it does have a price tag. You know, this man paid 38 years of mobility for his sin. And I'm sure he didn't read the small print on the contract he signed when he entered into that particular sin on that particular day. But a deal is a deal, even if it's a raw one, because sin costs. You know, look over in James and, and look in the book of James, chapter number 1, Hebrews, James, Peter. Look in James. James chapter number 1. Look with me down at verse number 13. The Bible says in James 1 verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And for this man, it, it brought a, a paralyzing condition for 38 years. And, and listen, sin is no picnic. And sin has a price. And, and if we don't, you know, like I shared my testimony earlier, if we don't accept Jesus Christ's payment for our sin, the price for our sin will be eternal separation from a holy God in a place called hell. But you know, God doesn't want that. But you know... I thought about that, and you know, Satan waits outside of every bar or pub here in Ireland. Satan waits outside of every liquor store. Satan waits outside of every pornographic newsstand. Satan waits outside of every drug house. Satan waits outside of every unchaperoned teen gathering, of every vile affection and potential vile relationship. And he waits there with a quill that's dipped in the sinner's own blood. And he says, sign here and you'll have the time of your life. You know, how come the beer commercials and how come the liquor commercials and how come the tobacco commercials, how come they don't show you the end of that thing? You know, show, show the guy in skid row. Show the guy with a broken home. Show the guy now homeless. Show the end of that thing. They make it look so fun. You know, hey, drink this drink and you'll have girls climbing all over you, fellas. You know, you'll, you'll wear nice suits, drive nice cars. Boy, you'll be it. That's not true. That's not true. That thing that you just bartered for, that thing that you just signed up for, that thing could kill you. Don't do it. Don't sign on the dotted line. It will cost you more than you could ever realize. It will cost you more than you would ever be willing to pay had you known up front the cost. You know, somebody said sin will take you further than you ever want to go, keep you longer, 
than you, you know, ever wanted to stay and cost you more than you were ever willing to pay. Sin's no joke. Sin's a terrible thing. And Satan comes along and he tempts us. And, you know, folks, I looked at this man and here he is 38 years. And guess what this man was ready to do? He's ready to walk again. He's ready to be done with his sin. He was ready to say yes to Jesus and no to his sin. You know, he's ready to repent. You know, before we can ever look into the face of Jesus Christ and look to Him in faith and repentance and dependence upon Him, before we can ever do that, we got to see our sin for what it is. You know, it's not, it's not what everybody's doing. You know, somebody said, well, if everybody's doing it for all, the world, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, if everybody's doing it, it must be okay. It's not okay. Remember when you were kids, my mother used to say this to me every time I, you know, we like to pawn things off. Well, Tommy did it. She said, well, Tommy jumped off a bridge, would you? Amen. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) But you know, just because everybody's sinning doesn't make sin okay. And sin's a dangerous thing. And this man finally, he finally got to a place and here he was. And and I can imagine he was finally sick enough of his sin. I mean, how many alcoholics haven't gotten up the next morning and and in their weakened condition, maybe still violently ill from the alcohol, which is poison in your body? And and how many have gotten up in the morning and said, I'm never going to drink another drop? And you would to God you had never drunk a drop the night before. Have you ever been there? Come on, you have to. You know? How many smokers have sat there and hacked and coughed and, and it just, you can feel your body recoil and it's trying to reject that, that poison in your lungs. And, and, and as you're going through those convulsions, you say, oh, I wish I'd never taken that first puff. How many drug addicts? You know, go down down the line. You know, sin, sin. You know, the, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, but that sin, that season's way too short, and it costs way too much. So this man had finally gotten to a place where he was done with his sin, and you know, it's interesting when Jesus comes along. You know. I believe with all my heart that that God is ready to save us before we're ready to be saved. And He's just waiting for us to be ready for Him. Amen? You know, when I was a boy, my mother, I shared with you, she she very depressed because of my father and climbed into a bottle. And my mother was a kind... She wasn't a daily drinker. But she would get to a point and say, I need a little celebration. And she'd go for a couple months, and then she would take a sip. Once she took a sip, it was over. And she'd go on to a binge. Often in our house, it would start on, on Thanksgiving and roll right on through the New Year. And, and she'd be in a deep, deep binge. I mean, just horrible, as bad, as graphic as you can imagine it was. And she'd go right on through that whole thing. And, and I remember as kids, you know, the house would become a mess. I mean, beer bottles strewn everywhere, you know, dishes piled up. Um, you know, as a young boy, I learned to go grocery shopping as a boy because if we didn't, there wasn't anything to eat. And, and, but we had always, we had watched it all pile up and, and we knew that if we cleaned up the mess, it would just prolong the binge. 
Because she'd say, hey, everything's doing good. She'd keep on drinking, keep on going, keep on going. So he had to wait and let it all just pile up. Literally, there'd be hardly any room to step or, you know, don't fall off the couch, pray tell. And we let it pile up because we were waiting for, we learned by experience, we were waiting for that repentant moment. We were waiting when we'd walk in in the morning, there's mom sitting up looking at all the mess around her. She's got tears in her eyes. She's broken hearted. Yet again, sin has brought her to the depths of despair. And with a broken heart, she's sitting there just mourning and weeping. At that moment, we'd go over, hug mom, tell mom we loved her, and we'd start picking up, cleaning up, spruce up. And now we'd start getting nutrition, start helping mom get back to health. You know, God's kind of like that. He's waiting for you to get tired of your sin. And as long as you're happy with your sin, you're not ready for Jesus Christ. But boy, when you're tired of it, here He comes. And let me just summarize this. It's interesting to note where this meeting took place. Look here. Look with me uh, back in uh, verse number 2. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. There's that, that one verse contains three very interesting things. The Bible, first of all, by the sheep market. If you were to go back in Nehemiah when they were rebuilding the walls, they put a gate, and there's a market by that gate because at that gate is where they would bring in the sheep, where they would bring the sheep, they'd bring in the goats, they would bring in the animals for the sacrifice. And all those animals, the sheep, the goats, the the bullocks, all those animals that they brought in for a sacrifice was the picture of the one true sacrifice for all sin, for all time, Jesus Christ. So here's this pool. He's at by the sheep market, and that's where that sacrifice, that's where that substitute. Remember Old Testament Israel, they would offer up a lamb or a goat or a bullock or what have you, and it was a substitution for their sin. And it's interesting where he was located, but because it was by the sheep gate. But also, and, and by the way, which is a place of the cross. And but also, it, he was located, the place was called Bethesda. And the word Bethesda is a neat word, but it means mercy or house of kindness. And folks, this speaks volumes, doesn't it? Here he was at the place of the cross by that sheep gate, but he was in a place called Bethesda, a place of mercy, a place of kindness. You know, I, I, uh, I, heard a, I heard a preacher years ago, a southern preacher years ago, he was preaching on the radio, and he said this, he said, I don't want justice, I want mercy. Folks, we don't want justice. We don't want what we deserve because if we got what we deserve, the wages of our sin is death. That's not only physical, but spiritual, eternal separation from a holy God. We don't want justice. We want mercy. We want God's unmerited favor. We want God's kindness to us. We may not deserve it, but God is a gracious God. So he was at the place of the cross. He was at a place of mercy. And then, if you notice also in that thing, in that same verse, the Bible says, having five porches. Five, you know, every word of scripture is there, and it bears an importance. You know, God, God didn't just throw in words. You know, pay attention to the details, because God's a God of detail. And every word has a, you know, bears an importance in the scripture. And, and the reason that that's mentioned, having five porches, because that five in your Bible, is the number for grace. 
It's the number for grace. So here's this man. He's at a place of the cross. He's at a place of mercy. And he's at a place of grace. And guess who comes walking in? (laughs) You know? Jesus. Isn't that just ironic? But you know what? Isn't that a picture of us today? You know, our sin separates us from a holy God. And we may not spend 30 years. We might spend two years. We might spend five years. We might spend just a handful. But whatever we do, our sin separates us from a holy God. And here we are. We're, we're in a desperate place. You know, those folks, and, and I won't develop because we're out of time. But they, they, were, they were halt. That means they're, you know, they, they that had to deal with their feet. They couldn't walk. They were withered, talking about maybe their hands. They were blind. They couldn't see. So they didn't have spiritual perception. They didn't have, they didn't have ability to do what they ought to do. They were really unable. The man says, listen, I have no one to help me. When, when, when the angel comes and stirs with water, I have no one to help me, and I can't get down there. Folks, that's a picture of us. It is. You know, none of us can save ourselves. And none of us can can crawl to the water, so to speak, and do it. We have to wait until Jesus comes by. And when Jesus comes by, He meets us in a place of mercy. He meets us in a place of grace. He meets us at the foot of the cross. And He asked you and He asked me the same question He asked that man. Wilt thou be made whole? And let me ask you today, if you're here, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, are you tired of life without Christ? And are you ready to walk again? Because the result was, that man got saved and he picked up his bed and he was walking. Without Christ, we're crippled and helpless. With Christ, we can walk again. And my question to you is this morning, are you ready to walk again? Are you ready to put away your sin and ask Christ in your heart? Are you ready to put your faith and trust in Him to do for you what we could never do for ourselves? Will you do it today? In a moment, we're going to have a word of prayer and the pastor's going to come and extend an invitation. Listen, behold, today is the day of salvation. Don't put off to tomorrow what you know you need to do today. You have God by His Spirit's work in your heart saying, that's you. You need to get saved. You need to, you need to receive Christ. You need to do it now. Don't, don't presume that you can do it another day. Don't walk out that dark door. Two things can happen. Your heart will get hardened or you could get hit by a car. Listen, today's the day of salvation. Won't you let Christ save you today? He loves you. He died for you. He shed His blood for you. He knows who you are. He knows what you need and He has what you need. He'll save you today. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Father, our great God in heaven, Lord, I thank You for the grace that You extended to me so many years ago now. And Lord, I know I didn't deserve it, nor do I today. But Lord, it was Your grace. It was Your mercy. It was Your cross. And I praise Your holy name. And Lord, I pray for every man and woman and young person here today.
Lord, if there's one that was like me just those years ago, that maybe they already believe in Jesus, but they've never received Him. They've kind of thought they were okay. But today they realize that their sin was separate between them and a holy God. If they died this moment, that they'd be eternally separated from You. Lord, and their heart's crying out. They're ready to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. Lord, will You meet them at that place of grace? Will You meet them at that place of mercy? Will You meet them at the foot of the cross? Lord, I know You will. Blessed Holy Spirit, help them this morning to do what they know they need to do. Lord, may they be saved today and we'll give You the glory and honor for it. Bless the invitation now to follow, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.